Well, good morning, Freeway. It's great to be here this morning. Welcome online as well. It's great to have an online congregation as well. It's, uh, for those who don't know me, my name's Bill Malcolm. I'm one of the pastors at Crossway. I've uh, been in pastoral ministry now for over 20 years, but our history goes back with Sandy and Mason uh, even longer than that. We've known each other for over 25 years. We actually uh, worked together in Wodonga Baptist back in the late 90s, so we've had a long uh, friendship with Sandy and Mason. We even lived with them for a little bit, which was quite an experience for, for us and them. Uh, <laughs> it was a transition between housing where we'd finished up living up there, but we were moving away, and uh, we lived at their house. They had a five-bedroom house, so it was fantastic, so we, we spent some time with them. But they're great, great people, it's great to be able to come and Join me freeway today. It's lovely to be back here again too. It's always fun to step into uh, uh, someone else's series and May shared with me what the topic was and what the reading was. And it always puts you in a bit of a category of, okay, this is what I have to try and get my head around. And I remember years ago, I was just starting out as an associate pastor in a very small conservative church. And the senior pastor was doing a whole series on relationships. And um, the Friday night, he came down really, really sick, and he had to speak on the Sunday. He'd planned out the message, what he wanted to speak on, and he had it advertised. He said, Bill, you're going to have to just step in for me. I said, oh, yeah, no worries, Mark, I can do that. What's the topic? He said, it's um, putting that mmm back in marriage. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. That's just the way I want to start my preaching career at a new conservative church. So, uh, yes, it was exactly what you're thinking it was talking about. So, so thankfully, the taming the tongue is just a little uh, easier topic for this morning uh, to speak about. Thank you for sharing the reading. Uh, it's a big reading today. Uh, so we're, we're going to skim across it a little bit. We'll hit points where James really speaks into it, but we won't be able to unpack it completely in terms of the, the, the breadth of the, the message, uh, the, the reading, but certainly we'll uh, find where it lands for us personally. I remember hearing a story some years ago about two snakes who were sliding through the jungle, uh, through the, the bush in Australia, uh, two taipan snakes. It was a mother and a, do- a baby snake. And as they moved along together, the, suddenly the baby snake stopped and he, he called, Mum, Mum, are we poisonous? The mother snake said, well, of course, dear, we're one of the most deadly snakes known to man. Why do you ask? Rats, said the baby snake. I just bit my tongue. (laughs) That's a lesson we can all learn. Sometimes we can all uh, perhaps bite our tongue a little bit uh, when we have things to say that aren't necessarily uh, helpful. And certainly, as we unpack James, obviously the book of James, uh, it's very practical. It's the thing I love about James. He speaks about early on, it's about the deeds. The last chapter would have been about deeds and and, um, faith and action. And then he moves into the practicality of what we say and how we say it and how our tongue can impact those around us. Let's take a moment just to pray as we get started. Jesus, we want to thank you that we can come together as your people. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom to gather here. Thank you for those online who can join us as well. And Lord, we want to pray that as we come together now, as we unpack your word, that you'll really speak into our hearts and just give us a real sense of where you're at work and what you're doing and what you're wanting us to take away from today's message. And for this, we give you thanks in your precious name. Amen. Amen. The question I want to unpack a little bit this morning is, what can I do to control my tongue? What can I do to control my tongue? And it's a great question to ask ourselves. So often we speak without thinking or we speak to see what we are thinking, depending on your personality type. Uh, I'm one of those sanguine type personalities that sometimes I have to open my mouth to see what it is that I'm trying to think through which doesn't always result in great outcomes when you, uh, you speak first and realise what you said wasn't actually what you meant. But I love the verses that, uh, that James unpacks here, because as we look through these verses, we see the first... It's interesting, even the first verse. It's almost a warning, uh, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. 
It's setting the bar high. Uh, James was struggling a little bit with the church he was addressing. Uh, there was people in the church who were wanting to get up and, and teach and share, but they didn't have the knowledge background to be able to do that. And so he was warning them, hey, it's a great honour to be able to share and speak. But when you preach the word, then what you share, you have a higher level of accountability before God of what you have to do with that. But he goes on and he says, uh, we all stumble in many ways. And isn't that true? Uh, We've got to be careful that we don't elevate those around us being above us. We've got to be careful that we don't see a... Put a preacher on a pedestal. That's one of the most dangerous places you can put them because they'll quickly fall off. Uh, We all stumble in many ways. And it's great for us to remember that. That's about every one of us uh, comes down to those imperfections. But then for that next six verses, as we look at uh, verses 2 to 8, James puts a bit of an analogy around the challenge of controlling the tongue. And as he does so, he unpacks just the different examples of what they are. Uh, he, the, the tongue is small and powerful. And he speaks about the idea in, in verse 3, um, when we put the bits in the mouth of horses uh, to make them obey, we can turn the whole animal. It's a little piece of metal that they put across the front of the horse. Growing up, uh, I grew up on a farming property in northwest Victoria. And we had a, a, um, a pet horse growing up. Her name was Queenie. Uh, Queenie was quite a large, she was probably 15 hands high when you're a little eight or nine-year-old. That's an enormous horse. And our challenge with Queenie was the fact that Queenie was never fully broken in very well. Um, my uncle sort of broke her in in his part-time and didn't do a great job of it in hindsight. So Queenie was always a little bit flighty, a little bit frisky, and a little bit uh, nervous for all us. Uh, and what we found whenever we rode her Dad would have to spend half an hour trying to get that bit in the mouse and the bridle on her head. And then he'd have to go for a ride for about 15 minutes to take some of the energy out of her. And then us kids could all hop on and have a ride. But I remember that challenge of trying to put the bit in the horse's mouth. And if she didn't want to put it in there, she wouldn't let you. She'd put her head up as high as she could go and you'd way beyond the reach of an eight or a nine-year-old. But this is what James is talking about, that such a small bit, once you got that in her mouth and you calmed her down a little, you could ride her and you had the control of the horse. He uses a number of examples of that. He then goes into the idea of uh, the ship, a massive ship that's steered by a small rudder. Again, the ships in those days would be relatively like a tugboat today. Uh, They were big sailing ships in their time. But we look at what the ships are today, and yet proportionally to the size, it's a very small little rudder that steers them. James goes on to say that the tongue goes on to make great boasts. Consider what a great fire can be set alight by just a small spark. And we all know that reality living in Australia. Just this last, last summer, uh, we saw the, the devastating consequences of the fire across Australia. It just takes one little spark. And so James is laying out for us examples of what it means for such a small item to have such control. For both good and for not so good, depending on where it's put and how it's used. But the cracks of what he's showing in that first eight verses, he comes to in verse eight, because he says, it's verse six, sorry. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of its life on fire, and itself set on fire by hell. Pretty condemning words for what we do with the tongue. But the key of it is in verse eight, where he then says, but no human being can tame the tongue. Isn't that true? So often we can try and we can do what we can with self-control, but it's so hard for us to control our tongue. It's so easy to say something that we didn't really mean or express it in a way that someone takes offence. And we then have to try and work out, what was it I was trying to say and why, why did I say that? He says it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
It's interesting, isn't it? You think of deadly poison. We've seen great, ex- well, not great examples. We've seen examples of that in recent years where uh, certain uh, um, opposition leaders to the Russian uh, uh, president have uh, stood up and opposed him and just the impact that that has had where they've been subtly poisoned. And the, you see that then you know, play out. That this guy, the, the opposition leader was poisoned. He had no idea he'd been poisoned. They'd, they'd t- tampered with his drink. And it wasn't until you know, he suddenly goes to the airport and he just started to feel very ordinary and he almost dies. It's the insidiousness of poison that he didn't know he'd been poisoned. He didn't taste it. He didn't see it. And yet it just seeped into his system and very quickly started to shut his system down. And that's the risk of a tongue. What we have to say can be like that poison. To speak into people's lives. Uh, in a negative way. But there's a positive to the tongue too. We can use the tongue for praise as well. We can praise God, we can praise each other, we can lift each other up. So the tongue's this enemy that's, you've got two sides to it. It can be used for good, it can be used for not so good. The tongue when controlled is a powerful weapon. When it's not in control, then it can be a total hazard. Have you ever said something and later or instantly regretted it? You've made a statement and then suddenly thought, oops, I wish I hadn't have said that. I remember as a, a young 18-year-old, I, used to, I worked on my family farm and so I would work all year at the family farm. And then come holiday time, which was about late January, early February for us, uh, a mate and I would actually go up to Mildura and go grape picking. So our idea of a holiday was to go grape picking for the next three to four weeks. And it was good fun. It was a change of scenery. We earned twice as much money grape picking as what we could uh, on the farm. And so we'd go up there and we'd pick grapes, we'd have a bit of fun, and then uh, that was our, our recreation. And I remember it was quite a, a, an experience for an 18-year-old to go up to that environment and we'd stay in what's called a picker's hut. So there was a hut, probably not much bigger than this stage, and there was myself and Pedro, and then a, another picker was staying in there. His name was Tim. And Tim was one of those guys, he was a transient living guy who followed the picking, uh, lived pretty roughly and pretty, uh, pretty, uh, yeah, some pretty tough times in his life that he'd been through, but he was an incredible picker. He could pick as many buckets in a day as what Pedro and I did together on his own. Like he was going twice the speed as what we were going. Amazing picker. But I remember uh, we'd pick for six days and then we'd get paid on Saturday morning. And we'd get paid 10 o'clock Saturday morning and dear Tim would take his pay. It was cash in those days. And then we wouldn't see him for about 10 to 12 hours. And he'd go to the local pub and the drug shop and all the other places around the place and blow most of his wage in, the, in that 12-hour binge. And he'd come home about 10 or 11 o'clock Saturday night in a very inebriated state. And this happened on the second or third Saturday night we're there. The same pattern was emerging. And then he'd try and survive the rest of the week on breadcrumbs and whatever he could find because he'd run out of money by Tuesday. But I remember he walked in the door and he was in a total another world and state. And uh, Pedro and I were there, and and my brother-in-law happened to be staying that night. And um, we'd been out for a little bit. We'd come back. We're just settling in for the night, and Tim was starting to get a little bit mouthy. I remember I mouthed back at him. I said something in a smart aleck comment. Don't even remember what it was, but it wasn't complimentary, whatever it was. And something snapped in Tim, and he he went outside. He came back through the door with two beer bottles, smashed them on the doors as he walked in, and told us in no uncertain terms he was going to cut us all into small pieces. And look, I've won every fight I've ever been in by a good hundred metres. So <laughs> fighting's not really my area of strength. So I sort of did the wise thing and dived into the toilet and locked the door. And Pedro dived under the bed because he was fighting ability was about on par with mine. 
And unfortunately, my brother-in-law had lived life pretty tough. He'd been a bit of a boxer in his youth, and he'd handle himself. And so thankfully, Pete was there, and Pete jumped up, and he managed to... Tim was only a little fella, thankfully, so Pete disarmed him. And then Tim managed to get out a picker's knife, and he's winging that round, and Pete disarmed him from that, and eventually sat on him and calmed him down, and Pedro and I crawled back out of our holes and sort of came to see if everything was okay. And fascinating the transformation that suddenly happened with Tim, that he went from wanting to kill us to he said, my life's a mess. Does anyone know who God is? Well, Peter immediately said, outside my area, I'm going to bed. Bill, this is yours. Uh, <laughs> I'd been a Christian for about oh, probably six months at this point in time, so I sort of had some vague, you know, my own transformation, what it had meant, uh, but didn't have a great knowledge on how to go about sharing my faith. But anyway, we sat out for the next hour, and I shared what I knew about the Bible and faith, and, and Tim ended up giving his life to Jesus in that, in that environment. Um, the next day when the, everything had worn off, he didn't quite have the same uh, exuberance for his newfound faith that he'd had the night before. But I share that story because I learned a very, very valuable lesson as an 18-year-old. You can get into a lot of trouble with a very short sentence um, and you can have the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue has power of life and death. And in one smart aleck comment, I almost thought about the death of the three of us from, from upsetting a guy that we shouldn't have. But at the same time, I had a, a redemption opportunity in God to actually share my faith with a guy who needed to know who Jesus was. The tongue had the power to go both ways, and it's how we use I wouldn't recommend that as an evangelistic strategy, just up front. Uh, not the way to go about it. That uh, Never had that kind of opportunity in that sort of scenario again. Uh, but yeah, certainly the tongue has the power for both life and death in that situation. So the challenge we have is how we use our tongue, what we do to speak in life into people, but the risk is we can speak death as well. And with that comes consequences. We read in verses 9 to 12, as uh, James unpacks that no human can tame the tongue, he then goes into the area, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth come praises and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. He then names the fact that can you have fresh water and salt water, uh, fig trees and great friends, salt and fresh water. He names the contradiction. And isn't it true for us that so often we live in that contradiction? That one of the greatest accusations that people outside the church make of the church is that, oh, it's full of hypocrites. There we go. It's that duplicity. It's that you say one thing and you do another. It's that reality that we don't seem to align. And yet it's not a Christian thing. That's a human thing. And James names that here, that we live in that duplicity of we, we and as Christians and as a changed and transform, transformed person, we want to do the right thing. We want to praise our Lord. At the same time, we can actually speak negatively of others or uh, someone cuts us off in the car park as we come to church and we express to them that we didn't really appreciate that in no uncertain terms. We have that challenge, don't we, of keeping that balance of how that fits together. Life and death can come from the same tongue. You know, in Australia, we have 21 of the 25 world's most deadliest snakes. Have a think about that for a moment. Who enjoys bushwalking here? Yeah, God bless you. <laughs> and may he protect you. <laughs> 21 of the world's 25 most dangerous, or deadliest snakes are here in Australia. And you think about the impact of snake bite over history. 
Uh, up until 1930, there was no anti-venom in Australia. Anti-venom was only really invented around the turn of the century by a French scientist. And up until about 1930, there's none in Australia. They started to introduce it then. So for our indigenous brothers and sisters and for our early white settlers, a bite from one of our deadly 21 species of snake that could kill you was pretty much exactly that, a death sentence. And yet through the 1930s to the 1960s, we developed anti-venom. And that anti-venom by the 1960s, they had it for every single deadly snake in Australia. To the point now, people still get bitten and occasionally people still do die, but there's a higher, risk, higher uh, chance now that you will survive because of the anti-venom. But the amazing thing about anti-venom is that it actually comes from the venom of the snake. They actually use the snake venom, they milk the snake fangs, and they actually get the venom out. And it's out of that venom that causes death that they're able to actually make an antidote that saves life. It's that same principle, isn't it? It's that idea that life and death can come from the same mouth, can come from the same tongue. So what do we do about that? It's all very well to have the theory of you know, those sort of things. What does that mean for us? How do we go about controlling our tongue? Well, there's a couple of different things we can look at. What is it that we say? Why do we say it? Uh, as we said, we can very quickly uh, criticise others. But we can also praise those around us. It doesn't take a lot to say a compliment. It doesn't say a lot to say something positive about those around us. As the Bible reading was being read, uh, my, my wife leaned over to me and said, uh, this is especially so for teenagers. Uh, in talking about the, the venom, venom in the tongue. Uh, we have three teenagers at the moment, one in particular, uh, lovely person, uh, but every now and then she'll snap into a point, well, I just gave away who it was. Uh, this child snaps into a point where we can really feel the venom in her voice and in her, how she expresses herself. We can all be subject to that and we can all do that. And yet we also have the opportunity to express ourselves in a way that's uplifting. Is what we share, is it true, is the first question. Are we gossiping about someone else? Or are we actually speaking truth into someone else's lives? Uh, are we speaking positively into other people? Warren Worsby uh, is a great theologian. I love his practical outworking that he gives in terms of uh, this verse. He says there's five things that we can do to speak positively into others. He said, first thing, start with please and thank you. He said, if you start with please and thank you, you're showing respect to the other person. Say, I'm sorry. When we say, I'm sorry, we're willing to be humble, to take the, the subservient role, to, to admit that we were wrong, and to be willing to humble ourselves before another person. To say, I love you. Uh, we don't hear that enough in our society, not just for those of our immediate family, but those around us, to actually share with each other that we genuinely love and look out for each other in that way. I'm praying for you was the fifth one that Warren said that we can say. He said, it's really hard when you're praying for someone to have a negative viewpoint of who they are or what they do. But he said, don't just say it. Actually mean it when we say to someone, hey, I'm praying for you in that situation. When we say we're going to pray, when we actually pray for someone else, it brings compassion, it brings mercy uh, upon us as well. There's a great verse in Matthew where Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. And he speaks... They were doing things that weren't really where he was at. And he speaks directly to their heart. He says, Matthew 12, 34 to 35, he says, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what, is, what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. An older version of the Bible used to say, 
out of the mouth the heart speaks. And have a think about that for a moment. Sometimes we don't know why we say what we say. We don't really, we might express ourselves in a way that's not positive. But we don't think about the words until they come out. And yet, what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees at the time is, you hypocrites. He said, you're speaking words, not because they're the words coming out of your mouth, but that's what's deep in your heart. And that's actually the root cause of what you're saying. And as we think about that for ourselves, it's one thing for us to put a guard on our mouth to say, hey, I've got to watch what I say. It's another thing to allow the Holy Spirit to dig down into our heart and say, it's not what I'm saying, but why am I saying that about that person or to that person? So we have plenty of examples across the media, from politicians to social influencers to sporting personalities to to actors, where we see they regularly tweet or speak or Instagram or say something that in a moment's fleeting moment they make a comment or a drunken rant, they condemn a, a race, and then suddenly when the backlash hits and the media jumps up and down, they suddenly backpedal very quickly and they apologise. And so often you hear them say the words, but that's not really me. Uh, I think of, of Mel Gibson there a few years ago where he was in a drunken rant and, and very anti-Semitic making some awful statements. And the, the next day in the media he said, oh, yeah, I was drunk, but that's not really who I am. Well, if it's not who you really are, why were you saying that when you're drunk? And we think about that for a moment. And it comes back to what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It may not be who he consciously wants to be. It may not be that he would normally speak when he has the filters up and he's thinking ahead of what he's saying. And I don't want to condemn Mel Gibson. We're all guilty. We can all be in that place where we allow the heart to speak. It's not about stopping the heart. It's about checking what's in the heart to start with and why it's coming out. Growing up, I grew up in an environment where I grew up on a farming property and uh, I regularly played in the football club and I I used to shear as uh, an occupation on the side. And I worked in a truck yard for a number of years. So I guess I've always worked in an environment that the language level wasn't always pristine and the personality around me often expressed themselves in derogatory and negative and and, uh, foul ways. And that kind of influences as you hang around people and that's just the environment you're in. Uh, You you swim in the colour of the water you're in. And so that was my natural default growing up. And as I got through my teen years and older teens, that was a real issue that I had. I didn't know it was an issue, uh, but the language I used was very, very unsanctified. And I turned 18, 19 to 19, I became a Christian, and it was a slow sanctification process. It's a very slow sanctification process, still happening. Uh, but that process took time. And I remember going on a camp, and there was a, a, a really godly policeman on that camp, lovely, lovely man from Mildura. And he took me aside one day as I was ranting about something in very unsavoury language. He said, hey, Bill, I know you've not long made yourself made a commitment to Jesus, but hey, I reckon there's some areas we can work on with how you express yourself. Bang. That was what I needed to hear at that point. No one had challenged me before on my language. I didn't even realise I had to do anything about it. And then that really, that, that one policeman spoke into my life in a loving way and just enabled me to actually look at what I was doing. And I'll be honest, it's a, it's a challenge I still have today. If I hit my hand with a, with a hammer, praise the Lord is not the first words that come into my mind. <laughs> but we do learn that the words that come out of our mouth is what comes out of our heart. 
And so it's that double checking. Okay, there's some long-rooted uh, tracks there that I need to keep pushing aside, but we can still work to get on top of that too. So the challenge that James gives us is those issues of using the tongue. The consequences are the challenge of hypocrisy. But God also gives us a a solution to the taming of the tongue. And he he goes into that in the next section, uh, which he he titled um, uh, Two Kinds of Wisdom. It's fascinating that that follows on from that little tongue section because he then talks about the idea of who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by their deeds, which we would have heard about in the previous chapters, in humility that comes from wisdom. And then there's a but in verse 14, but. But if you harbour bitterness, envy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. It's what we harbour in our heart that flows out to both our actions and our word. And so if you get nothing else out of this morning, what I really want to be the takeaway for each of us is what is it that's in our heart this morning that God wants to deal with? What's the thing that the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on? And for every one of us, it's different. For some, it might be what they say. For others, it might be how they say it. For others, it might be things they say about people. Uh, For others, it might be just their thought life. And so often, what we think is what we speak. And we may never say it aloud, but that little voice in our head, whether negative or positive, is what's triggering who we are and and the reactions that we have. That's the heart of the issue. The whole idea of that selfish ambition in our heart. James goes on to say, such wisdom does not come from the heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. Well, he gives it three barrels there. Earthly, unspiritual and demonic. Those things that we're hanging on to. And so often we easily hang on to that bitterness. Even in church life, we can be doing things for the Lord. And then we can feel like, oh, why is it I always have to come down here on a Saturday and help do this and do that? Why is it I have to get here early and help with the kids and do da da? We get that in our that thinking in our mind. We might not say it, we may not share it with others. What is it that they're not doing that? I'm doing that. God, I'm doing this for you. And we can allow that bitterness to seed in our heart. And it's that seed in our heart that germinates to being who we are and what we say. I remember some years ago, when I was working at Wodonga, actually, I was working as an animal health inspector up in the, the Holbrook area, up around northwest, uh, sorry, southeast uh, New South Wales at the time. And part of my role was to go onto properties and to examine, or I was doing sheep and cattle, so uh, flock diseases in those two areas, foot rot, lice, yonis, we had a whole list of diseases, evine bolo, exotic bovine leucosis. So we had all different uh, things that we looked out for in disease in animal. I worked under a vet. I remember I went to this one property and the guy had foot rot. I caught him in a bad day. And um, as I went on, he had a fairly severe reaction to me turning up. I was just turning up in my role as a, as a ranger. And uh, him seeing me walk in the door, read a great big red flag and he reacted very negatively to me. I remember the impact that had on me for an extended period. Every time I drove past his gate, I think, oh, I don't like you anymore. You know, I didn't do anything. I was just there in my job, and you, just, you, know, you didn't treat it well. But as I let that fester, that bitterness and that uh, envy and that, that feeling of dislike for this person grew to the point where I started having ulcers, where I actually started uh, having, being sick because I was letting my mind and my whole heart concentrate on the negative aspect of this person. Now, I remember God challenged me that unless you move on from that, you're, gonna, you're the one wearing the, the consequences. 
So when we hold on to a grudge for someone else, uh, it doesn't impact them, but it certainly impacts us. And God challenged him, he said, you need to actually phone him up and, and ask for forgiveness. Said, God, I'm not doing that. I didn't do anything wrong. I went there, God, because you told me it's my job. I have to go there. And he overreacted on every level. I'm not doing that, God. He said, I want you to. So I rang him up and he wasn't home. Oh, praise the Lord. Must have heard God right. All good. <laughs> Done your bit, God. Thank you. A week or so later, I had the sense you know, to ring him again. And I rang him. I said, oh, it was. And immediately his tone changed. And I said, hey, I just want to say... I'm really sorry. The day I turned up, I wasn't very tactful in the way I approached you. Um, I could have done things better. I'm really sorry. There was a dead silence. He then started crying on the phone, and he shared with me some of his story. His marriage had broken down. He was drinking heavily. He had massive issues with his farm. He was under massive debt. And me turning up that day just waved another big red flag. And suddenly there was a release in me because I'd been holding on to a grudge who he had his own gamut of challenges and problems that I'd allowed to take on myself because of the way he reacted to me. And yet we left that and you know, at that point when I actually made that phone call, I was able just to release that and I never felt anything about that again. Now suddenly my health improved as well. It's interesting, isn't it, that something so simple that we can hang on to a grudge to someone else uh, simply by the words they say to us. There's a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 4, verses 23 and 24, that reads, Above all else, guard your heart, as everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity, keep corrupt talk from your lips. See, we have a responsibility with what we say, but we also have a responsibility to guard our heart and to be careful of what we let in, because what we let in is what comes out. And we may not see it at the time, but as we allow into our heart, that's what comes out of our heart. We need to guard our heart. The starting point is to ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that's in my heart that you want to deal with today? What are the things that you have that you want to make a difference in my life uh, at this time? The tongue can have the power to praise. The tongue can also have eternal consequences. In Romans we, we read, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It's not just what we do and say that has consequences today. Our words can have eternal consequences for us as well. So as we finish up today, I want to come back to that baby snake that bit his tongue. So often we too need to be like the baby snake and bite our tongue in what we want to say to someone else. But the reality is, when the words get to our mouth, it's almost too late. It's like trying to dam off the river at the seashore. You actually need to be addressing that issue way long before. You need to dam the the river way back up the head, uh, where it's smaller and easier to control. We need to deal with the issues in our heart. Because when the words get to our mouth, then they're at a point where they're coming out. It's the issues in our heart that God wants to deal with each one of us. To tame our tongue, we need God to deal with our heart issues first. That's the takeaway I really want us to grab hold of today. Let's take a moment to pray and just really, I want to allow God just to speak into each of us in that area. So let's just pray together. Jesus, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, that you give us all a heart to serve you, a heart to praise. And Lord, we thank you that we can gather as your people. And Lord, as your word has shared today, we want to pray that you 
as you speak into our lives, that we may have open hearts. Lord, help us to see what it is in our heart that isn't what you want to be there. What's the overflow of our mouth that's not of you, that's from deep within? And Holy Spirit, we ask that you come into our heart, that may you just put your finger on that area that you want us to be released from today. We pray in the name of Jesus that you will release us and show us that thing. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.